I am Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. We are in Iowa again this week. Beautiful, beautiful Iowa. Yeah, I don't know much about Iowa. Nope, we're going to learn something about Iowa today. All right, good. Weird laws, I'm assuming. Yes, they do have some weird laws. Uh, there's quite a few laws, much like I think it was Wisconsin, that had laws very clearly telling you how to interact with the opposite sex. Yeah. In Iowa, it is illegal for a man to wink at a woman he does not know. So don't wink at any strange Ooh. women. You might go to jail. Pay attention to, I think, last week's episode title or maybe the week before, Creeper Winks. Yep, Creeper Winks are not kosher in Iowa. Uh, speaking of men and women, apparently it's illegal for women or men with mustaches to kiss each other in public. Okay, so shave that mustache, gay dudes. Mm-hmm, shave that mustache. Plus, it's very 70s. Just leave it in the 70s. Yeah. So, you know, no mustache rides. Mustache rides. <laughs> mustache rides. That was supposed to be muskrat love. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's also illegal to kiss for longer than five minutes. Damn. Well, if you can keep going that long, then. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like shave your stash and get a pocket watch timer. Yeah. So you don't accidentally break the law. Um, there's a couple other interesting laws. Uh, a lot of them are sort of around, you know, drugs and alcohol, which would make sense for a state to, you know, legislate that. I could see why they want, you know, something on the books for that. For example, it's illegal for a store that sells beer to advertise that beer in with signs outside of their store. So it has to be all in store. Okay. Uh, it's illegal to sell drugs without a drug tax stamp. Oh, Okay. So I guess it's when you have any kind of drug at a pharmacy, I guess. Make sure that cocaine stamp is on there. Exactly. You have to have that Iowa cocaine drug stamp approval. Otherwise, it's illegal. Yes. Uh, it's also illegal unless a permit is obtained for a minister to carry liquor across state lines. All right. So if you're a itinerant preacher and you have that bottle of whiskey, you better have a permit for it. I guess so. I guess wine would be a problem. Well, I guess not really because wine's like blood, blood of Christ, so it's not really liquor. Yes. So that should be fine. Well, if you're Catholic, Catholic, it's not really liquor. Yep. Catholic priests out there, you're fine. Yeah. Lutherans, you're fine. It's just grape juice. If you're anything else, it's it's just symbolically that. But if you're Catholic, it literally transforms. <laughs> and one law, last law that I thought was kind of wacky, and I feel like we've encountered similar-ish laws around the country. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, it's illegal to read a person's palms within the city limits. Okay, so make sure you're over that city line. Yep, no palm reading in the city limits. Go so to the burbs. follow that lifeline out of town. <laughs> Get in your car and drive. <laughs> That's where your lifeline's taking you. But yeah, those are the uh, wacky, weird laws I found in the beautiful state of Iowa. Interesting. Not as weird as a lot of the other ones, but still weird enough. Yeah, I was expecting slightly weirder Iowa. I don't know why. You just seem so innocent. I figured you got to have some weird laws out there, but... I've got a really weird freaking news article for later, so be prepared for that. Oh, and I have something else. All right. Since it was our podcast anniversary on the, what was it, 24th, I think? 25th. 25th. Mm-hmm. I got you a little present. A present? I love gifts. Ooh, the scariest serial killer's coloring book, Bloody Alphabets 2. How exciting. Let's take a look, guys. What kind of glorious things can I color? Somebody nice. Somebody my favorite. <gasps> Harold Shipman. <laughs> oh, that's so internationally sensitive. These are really cool, actually. They are really neat. They kind of remind me of like 
has like a tattoo sensibility in the yeah. way they lay out the pages. Oh wow, alphabetical. Okay, I'm digging this. Pedro Lopez. Okay, hey, you're creepy. <laughs> Thank God you sounded like Nicole Byer. I've been told that before. I also like to th- say things like, I'll have the wheat beer. <laughs> Whess. Whess. The white wheat beer. Oh, Gacy. Oh, I love it. That's so good. These are seriously like, these totally remind me of tattoos. Yeah, they do. <gasps> Miss Christine Falling. Oh, Christine Falling's in there? Yep. So you have the pillows. Oh, man. And for some reason, cats and creepy dolls. Lots of pills. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. And they give you a nice colored test page. It's very, yeah, very tattoo font. It's cool. It is, and I like the fact that they have the other side of the page blank, so it's the sound of you a don't quality, have to choose quality coloring book. Well, thanks, Eden. I appreciate the gift. I didn't get you anything. Oh, it's cool. I'll bring you something maybe later. I just, I just wanted to give you that because I thought it'd be really cool. It is cool. I'll off the color some and post some photos on the Instagram Ooh, and Facebook. Don't nap at my poor coloring skills, though. <laughs> I get excited and go outside the lines sometimes. Well, you know, that just means you're a free thinker. Does it? Not yes. just a sloppy mess? True. Excellent. Maybe a little <laughs> both. Uh, did you have anything else? Uh, no, that's it. All right. Well, then I will jump into my true crime story. So our stop today is Martinsburg, which is a tiny, and I mean tiny, city in southeastern Iowa. When I say tiny... This town is 0.4 square miles, and it has a population of 112 people. Holy crap, that's tiny. It's still a city, though, but it's the tiniest city I've ever heard of. Yeah, that's very, very tiny. Martinsburg was founded in the mid-19th century, and by 1861, the city consisted of a half-mile-long row of houses surrounded by farms. Okay. It grew pretty modestly over the next decade or so, with the establishment of two general stores, a hotel, a Presbyterian church, a vineyard, 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 vineyard. we'll say vineyard, sawmill, and grain mill. Nice. Yeah. So it's a nice little, you know, hub, lots of farming around it. Like a lot of Midwestern towns, Martinsburg survived because of railroad access. In 1882, the Burlington and Western Rail Line and the Minneapolis-St. Louis Rail Line arrived in the city and it became a transfer point between those two lines. They kind of diverged in Martinsburg. So it did bring more lifeblood to this very small town. Okay, makes sense. Over the next century, the community of Martinsburg remained pretty rural, and it's still pretty rural today. There's a few manufacturing plants in the area, and a majority of its residents still work in agriculture. And that's pretty true of its entire county. Very nice. Seems like a very productive bunch. Yes, yes. Uh, There isn't anything to do in Martinsburg, I'm pretty sure. Except for farm. Except for farm. And railroads, except maybe not anymore. Yeah, maybe you can look at the railroads. I'm not sure. TripAdvisor let me know that I'd have to drive 20-some-odd miles to Oskaloosa or Fairfield to find a hotel to stay in or even a restaurant to eat in. Holy crap. Yeah. It is teeny tiny. So, guys, if you're looking to visit, don't. Exactly. <laughs> like when TripAdvisor are like, are you sure you didn't mean Martinsburg, West Virginia? And I have to go, yes, TripAdvisor. I'm, I'm I, absolutely sure. I'm pretty sure it's Iowa. They're like, okay. Why can't you ever just fucking believe me, TripAdvisor? <laughs> Stop trying to tell me what to do, TripAdvisor. <laughs> anyway, so you might be asking yourself, Nicole, why have you taken us to this teeny tiny city where there's nothing to do and no place to eat? Because this one activity is getting murdered. 
actually, yes. Nice. <laughs> it's the scene of a mass murder that like seriously gave me nightmares when I first learned about it. If you're looking for a stabby staycation. <laughs> Look no further. So let's go back to May 1962 to a Martinsburg farm owned by Andrew Macbeth. Not like the play. It's not Macbeth. It's Macbeth. Okay. Andrew, who was 51, and his wife, Dora, who was 41, had four children together. 19-year-old twins, Amos and Anna, 17-year-old Donna Jean, and 15-year-old Patsy. Did Dora have a backpack that talked in a monkey? No. Unfortunately, she did not. But the Macbeths also had recently become grandparents, so that's something. Ooh, okay. I mean, hopefully the baby didn't look like monkey. Hmm. Anyway, um, Donna Jean who was their 17-year-old, had recently been married and given birth to a son who she named Perry in late 1961. Okay. Andrew had also recently welcomed another member of the family to stay at the farm, his nephew, Gano Smith, who was described as a methodical farmhand and also ex-Marine. Now, Gano was 24, and he was also an avid hunter. Previously, he'd been living in Denver for a few years, but some problems caused him to move home to Iowa. I couldn't really find out what those problems were, but it sounds to me like somebody who kind of had to do a reset and move back to where he was from. Gotcha. Now, initially, he stayed with his stepmother, Juanita Smith, in nearby Hedrick, Iowa. But soon the two began to fight, and Gano moved into his Uncle Andrew's house. Like I said earlier, there is not a whole lot to do in Martinsburg, and that was equally as true back in the 60s. Great. So, I mean, you know, idols ha- idle hands are the devil's playthings, I guess. I mean, if you have any energy left after working on the farm all day, I yeah. guess. Well, that's some hard damn work. It is true. But the Macbeth kids were able to find some fun. They actually heard about a dance that was going on in Brighton, Iowa, which was about 20 miles away. So, of course, they're like, this is amazing. Let's go hang out and have fun. Yeah. On the evening of May 27th, 1962, Gano drove his cousins, Amos, Anna, Donna Jean, and Patsy, to the dance in Brighton. Donna Jean, who had recently gotten a divorce, left her six-month-old son, Perry, at the farmhouse in the care of her parents. Gano hung out at the dance for a while and then disappeared, but the Macbeth siblings didn't seem to notice. So he just like up and vanished from this party. Yeah, basically they're at the party and like he's a little bit older from what I read. Like he's 24 and like this That's is more like ancient. I know ancient to like 16 year olds. So yeah. like 16 to 20 is kind of like the age group for this party. So he kind of like was like, all right, I'm going to head out for a little bit. Maybe he went to a bar or something. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, it didn't really matter to the Macbeth kids because he was back by the time the dance ended and was there to drive them home around midnight. So the five start to head back towards Martinsburg when a very strong storm rolls in. They decide that they're going to stop at a truck stop and grab some late night night grub, you know, some sodas, sandwiches. Makes sense. And just wait out the storm because it's really heavy downpouring, lightning, thunder, the whole nine. So they're like, you know, as as people do, because who wants to drive in that? So the storm passes and the group hits the road again. When they arrive at the Macbeth farm, all the lights are out. This struck the kids as pretty odd. Baby, when the lights go out. Remember that song? (laughs) Yes. It's not a much nicer time than what's about to happen on the Macbeth farm, though. Oh. Uh, So they get there. All the lights are out. The kids are like, this is super weird. Mom and dad usually wait up for us. Or if they're not going to wait up, they're at least going to leave some lights on. So it's not completely pitch black. 
just like Motel 6, they'll leave the light on for you. Exactly. Exactly. Now, concerned that maybe the storm had knocked out the house's power, Amos and Donna Jean retrieved some flashlights and made their way around the house to investigate while Anna and Patsy went inside. Amos and Donna Jean... Mistake number one. Dun, dun, dun. Amos and Donna Jean make their way around the house, and they see that the garage door looks like it's unlocked. And they also notice that there's these weird drag marks that lead from the house to the garage. Oh. So they go to check it out like you would. Mm, I would. And that's why I'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. Inside the garage, they make a pretty gruesome discovery. They find the bloodied bodies of their parents, <gasps> Andrew and Dora. No. Mm-hmm. Talk about an awful end to a night out. I knew Dora shouldn't have gone exploring. Mm-mm. It just leads to danger, girl. So they race back to the house to phone for help and to alert their sisters and cousin. Inside, Donna Jean discovers that the phone's dead. Amos checks the lines in the house and finds they've been cut. This is straight up horror movie shit. Right? Right? Now, before they could figure out what to do next, Gino walks into the house. They hear a noise and a cat jumps out from something. They're like, oh, you scared me. (laughs) If only. Gino walks in. And he has a flashlight in one hand and an over-under shotgun rifle in the other. Okay. Over-under? Yeah. Over-unders are the ones where there's like, you know, a regular shotgun. It has like two barrels that are like horizontal. Yeah. And over-under oh, is like a thon top yeah. of each other. It looks more like a rifle than a shotgun. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It, people use it for deer hunting a lot. Yeah. I've just never heard that term before. Yeah. I had to look it up because I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know what that is. So he walks in and just opens fire on his cousins. Anna was struck in the back and collapses on the living room floor. No. Patsy, the 15-year-old, is struck in the shoulder, but she manages to scramble out of the house. Meanwhile, Donna Jean ducks out of the room and runs to the back bedroom where baby Perry is sleeping. Wait, so the guy with the gun's the one that disappeared mm-hmm. earlier? It's their cousin who's like living with them yeah. for a while. Gano follows Donna Jean into the bedroom. He shoots her in the chest and the head as she stands in front of the bed trying to protect her infant son. My God. Somehow she manages to throw herself over the sleeping body of Perry before she collapses. Oh, my God. Gano returns to the living room to finish off his other cousins. To his surprise, Amos, who he had, who he had wounded uh, in the face, in somehow... The face? Yeah, he had shot so this him. Is some 50 Cent shit now? Yeah, well, yeah, basically. So he walks in and his cousins are all standing there like, Gano, Mom and Dad, wait, why do you have a gun? And he just opens fire. Oh, damn. And it's a shotgun, so it kind of blasts them all. Yeah. So, like, Anna gets hit mainly in the back. Like, the way it was kind of explained, it's like, you know, Patsy and Amos were kind of standing next to each other, so she got hit in the shoulder and the same shot basically, like, hit him in the oh, face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes back to finish Amos off. But somehow Amos had managed to drag himself out of the house and Gino you know, sees him and follows him into the yard. Amos starts to shimmy under the parked car, and the whole time he's pleading for his life, trying to convince his cousin not to kill him. Gino leans down and angles the gun under the car and shoots him again. Okay. Patsy, meanwhile, who had gotten out of the house first, has made it most of the way across the yard to the fields. Unfortunately, her shoulder's bleeding, and yeah. it leaves this clear trail for Gano. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. And he's like an expert deer hunter, so he's used to following oh, trails no. like this. Yeah. So totally crazy. She does the smart thing and throws herself into a ditch at the edge of the field as Gano is taking his flashlight and kind of shining the beam to figure out where exactly she went. Patsy begins repeating this process, where basically she would scuttle up from the ditch and into a furrow in the field, ducking down to avoid the sweeping flashlight beam as Gano followed her. 
She crouches and crawls for a couple of hours across the field. Oh, my God. Eventually, she makes it to a farmhouse a few miles away where she immediately calls her uncle, Furman Macbeth. Now, Furman. Furman? Yeah, Furman. Weird. Yeah. It was a very odd, like, your brother's name Andrew, but you're Furman? I've never heard that name before. Yeah, it sounds like a last name, first name. Yeah, Yeah. like family name kind Mm -hmm. of deal. Yeah. So Furman is also a local farmer, but he works as the local sheriff in town. And he immediately alerts the county sheriff. Oh, that's right. It's so small. Yeah, it's so small. They kind of just have a guy who's like deputized as a marshal. Yeah. So he calls the county sheriff and takes off for Andrew's house. Now, Furman arrives first and he finds Andrew and Dora in the garage. Um, When he emerges, Sheriff Bud Walrich and his deputies have already arrived at the farm. They find Amos dead under the car outside. Then they all go into the house together. They find Anna dead in the living room. Then they go to the back bedroom. They find Donna Jean dead across the bed. According to Furman, who later said, quote, she was lying across Perry's legs. Little Perry was in bed. He was asleep when we found him. Oh, thank God. I thank the Lord he didn't shoot him. Yeah. So at this point, it's like two, three in the morning. What time did they get home initially? Uh, they left the dance around midnight. They stopped first. I think they got home around like one thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. So now it's like like an hour or so or two hours later. It's like close to morning now. Yeah. And they can't find you know anywhere on the farm. So the deputies and Furman and the sheriff start to rally a manhunt for him. They get a heavily armed posse because again, Gano was an ex-marine. He's an he's an expert deer hunter. He knows how to harm people. They start to search a five mile area around the Macbeth farm. And eventually they start to move north based on some of the clues and they start heading towards the next town, which is Hayesville. By mid-afternoon of the next day, they receive a report of Gano's abandoned car about 40 miles to the southeast in Unionville. Okay. So they start to focus their hunt there. Three days after the murders, authorities finally catch up with Gano. He's hiding in this barn near Lake uh, Wapello, and they immediately are able to apprehend him. They take him in and ask him why he did it. He never gives them a motive. But he does tell them, yes, I murdered them, and proceeds to explain how he went from the dance in Brighton after dropping the kids off, drove back to the farm, and from the edge of the fields used his rifle to shoot Andrew and Dora through the living room windows while they were just at home relaxing. Oh, shit. He then went into the house, dragged their bodies to the garage, went back in, cleaned up the blood, and then got back in his car and drove the 20 miles back to Brighton to pick up pick everyone up the kids yeah okay and while he's giving his confession he also says this isn't the first time he's killed someone and the the police are kind of like oh of course you were a marine he's like no i also killed my stepmother what the hell and police contact the the you know local i guess marshal in hedrick iowa and sure enough no one's really seen juanita smith for a couple months. Oh, no. So they drive out to her property and they discover her body in a shallow grave behind oh, the house. God. Okay. Now, at trial, they still don't even bother with the mo- motive for why Gano basically snapped and, and murdered his family. Yeah. Because they have his confession. So it's a pretty short and sweet trial. He's sentenced to five life terms for first degree murder and one 50-year term for second degree murder. 
Guinness Smith spent the rest of his life in jail. He died in prison on May 6, 2005. And he never said why he did never it. Never said why he did it. Now, here's the part that really got me about this story. So you have the two surviving kids, Patsy, who's like 15, and then Perry, who's literally six months old. Yeah. Now, they were both taken in by Furman Macbeth. He even ends up adopting and raising Perry as his own son, along with his other nine biological children. Nine? Yeah, he had nine kids, too. Well, there's nothing to do in this town. Of course, you're going to yeah. fuck like rabbits. Yeah, and it's like, you have a farm. You can support those kids. Great. Yeah. Now, while Perry was too young to remember the murders, he does kind of grow up with people kind of constantly reminding him of that night. Which is just the worst. Right. And it's like you grew up in the same town where like your, your family, like your mom, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles were all murdered. So, of course, people are going to bring it up. And it's a small town. Yeah, it's a super yeah. small town. And every interview I saw with him is very clear that it really colored his whole life. And he still lives with the pain of this terrible event today. Um, there was a really great article in the Sioux City Journal that interviewed Perry. And he said... Just a quote that's kind of like made me so sad for him. And it was, quote, nobody knows the hell this put me through. Growing up as a kid and everybody telling me that Gano was going to come back and finish the job like he said he was going to do. Every day I was looking over my shoulder. What? People would tell him that? Mm-hmm. Like people would pick on him and be like, watch out. Gano's going to get you. What the hell is wrong with people? Right? And then all through school, I was a bully because I wanted people to hurt as bad as I did. I hated everything and everybody. I mean, shitty, but it makes sense. Yep, yep. All I ever knew was pain and hurt. After I hurt somebody, I would feel bad. It took people a long time to realize the pain I was feeling. I'm sorry about all that now. When I see those people today, I try to tell them that, but they just don't understand. Yeah. And like Perry still lives around that same area today. And it's just kind of the sad, terrible aftershock of such a weird and unpredictable violent crime. And I get it because it's it's the area you know, it's what you mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. I would get the hell out of there yeah yeah just leave it all behind oh yeah but yeah that is the mass murder of the Macbeth family that's insane because that was literally a straight up slasher film yep yep you know what I mean when I asked like my wife I'm like I don't know if I should do this and she's like this sounds like a real life horror movie it does terrifying it really does I'm like yeah but hence it gave me nightmares too where it's like no it's all the worst things it's like you come home and you had a really great night out but it's like something's amiss and then it just snowballs and next thing you know you're in a field covered in blood running for your life I mean typical Saturday night for me but (laughs) listen we can't all be as adventurous as you I know I like to live on the wild side (laughs) So, thoughts, questions? I have many. Yeah, share them, please. Well, my question is, why the hell did he do it? What is going on? Was there some sort of abuse? Was there, you know, like, what was this freaking motive? Because that's the one that pisses me off when I don't know Mm -hmm. why you committed this crime. And it's so weird, too, because it's like every source I looked into, like, trying to dig into it, it was a lot of newspapers and things. Yeah. All of them would be like, he had quote unquote problems oh yeah back in denver and it's like okay well what was he into but like there was nothing like even like interviews of locals that came that i came across they were like no he was like a pretty normal dude like one of uh the articles actually had an interview with a woman who worked at the local general store yeah who had actually talked to gayno like a day or two before he snapped and murdered everybody and he was in there buying like some kind of skin cream for one of the twins because yeah. they had gotten really bad sunburn and he was really concerned that they were going to be okay. 
And then he kills them. And then he kills them. Yeah. So it's it's so odd. I'm Fucking like weird. Yeah. It's it's just this unanswerable question. And now he's dead. And he never never really said why he did it. It's, it's like some sort of mental break. I'm assuming because mm-hmm. if he was actually concerned about them just a little bit before. Yeah. Then what the hell changed? How? I yeah. Mean, he could have maybe not wanted to kill the kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just wanted to kill um, the parents. Yeah. And then to keep his crime a secret. It kind of snowballed and he just like. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it has this feeling of a rampage. Yes. Especially when they get home from the dance. So. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my sources for the story were, of course, Wikipedia, TripAdvisor, Sioux City Journal, Southeast Iowa Union, and American Mass Murderers by Valerie Plaza. All right. Thank you, Nicole. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah, you're welcome. I try. So many questions that will never be answered now. Thanks a lot. Nope. Going to be thinking about this all night. <laughs> you're welcome. Welcome to my world. Well, I'm going to go overthink this crime while we take a break. Sounds good. Sounds good. And we're back. We're back. I have a really disgusting news article for you. I'm kind of weirdly excited about this. This one comes courtesy of CNN, and it's from Vietnam. Oh, internationally interesting. Police seized 345,000 used condoms that were cleaned and sold as new. Oh, oh. Yeah. I have so many questions. Well, let's read the article and find out. Let's dig right in. So, police in Vietnam have confiscated an estimated 345,000 used condoms which had been cleaned and resold as new, state media reported. Footage broadcast by the state-owned Vietnam Television this week showed dozens of large bags containing the used contraceptives scattered across the floor of a warehouse in the southern province of, I don't know how to pronounce that, Binh Dong? Sure, we'll go with that. Police said the bags weighed more than 360 kilograms, which is 794 pounds. Oh, my God. uh, Equivalent to 345,000 condoms, according to VTV. Like, wow. Wow. Yeah. The owner of the warehouse said they had received a, quote, monthly input of used condoms from an unknown person, end quote state newspaper reported (laughs) a woman detained during the bust told police that the used prophylactics were first boiled in water then dried and reshaped on a wooden phallus before being repackaged and resold vtv said it was not clear how many of the recycled condoms already had been sold the detained woman said she had received 17 cents for every kilogram of recycled condoms she produced neither she nor the owner of the warehouse were available for comment like that doesn't even seem worth the effort no oh my god it costs more like it definitely costs 17 cents to boil a vat of water yeah that's i just i i i mean really what is the profit margin on that that's crazy to me exactly that's disgusting i can't remember the last time i bought a condom yeah other than hilariously out of like a bathroom like Oh, yeah. Well, one time, that's a funny story. One time <laughs> for my friend's birthday party at Diamonds, the bar that we met, um, <laughs> I was supposed to be in charge of balloons for her birthday. Mm-hmm. I forgot. So I took some change to the bathroom, used the condom machine, blew up the condoms, and those were her birthday balloons. I mean, that's ingenuity, Eden. Yeah. I'm impressed with that. You made the best out of a, of a bad situation. I did. So, condom balloons, anyone? 
<laughs> I will definitely get them for you for your birthday. Yeah, that's fine. But reusing those afterwards? No, don't use them after, after. shaving them on a wooden phallus? Probably not the best. One of them was glow in the dark. Is very fancy. That is fancy. So I have an interesting story, and it's a little bit uh, out of your wheelhouse now instead of my own. My story for this week takes place in Van Meter, Iowa. It's in Dallas County, and it's pretty much the cent in the center of the state. Do you notice, like the map of Iowa? By the way, like all the state like counties are like perfect squares. They are. I'm like, wow, it's so well planned. I know. It's along the Raccoon River, or as I like to call it, Trash Panda River. <laughs> as I almost make you spit out your drink again. Two weeks in a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On a roll. So it has an estimated population of 1,181 as of 2018. It's in the Des Moines, West Des Moines statistical area. The town was laid out in 1869 and was incorporated in 1877. It takes its name from Jacob Rhodes Van Meter who was a Dutch settler. As far as activities go, you can visit uh, the Bob Feller Hometown Museum, which is a baseball museum named for Cleveland Braves pitcher Bob Feller, who was a town native. Or, if baseball isn't your thing, you can spend the day outside at nearby Trindle Park in Dallas. Cool. Uh, there is one other major pull for this town, and that's the subject of today's story, the Van Meter Monster. What? Yep. I will delve into some other sightings throughout Iowa as well for this one and the rabbit hole that led me to the Van Meter monster, but that portion was difficult to find information on, so it's not going to be that exciting. Okay, well, I, I like a good rabbit hole. So this cryptid creature, who is also sometimes called the Van Meter Visitor, first paid a visit to the town of Van Meter all the way back in 1903. Hmm. Uh, the Van Meter monster is said to be a giant winged creature standing eight feet tall with large bat-like wings, some human features, and is able to shoot a beam of light out of its forehead. What? Yeah. It's like, it sounds like a, like a, I feel like I've read the ma- the Magno that has that dragon creature in it. Right. It's kind of dragony and kind of like weirdly humanoid, but not really humanoid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, beam of light. I don't know. Maybe it's like a laser pointer. Maybe it just when it plays with cats, you know, <laughs> it's also said to smell really bad. So I'm actually afraid that it might be Salem after he poops. <laughs> Speaking of cats. <laughs> When it made its first appearance in 1903, the monster was said to have terrorized this little town for about a week. Really? Yeah, the local residents took up arms against this flying beast and began shooting at it with shotguns, which seemed to have absolutely no effect on the creature. Wow. Yeah. Like, I feel like most time you see a cryptid, it's very isolated. I feel like it was just singing that, this time, baby, I'll be bulletproof. (laughs) LaRue, is that you? (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know, but it's, like, bulletproof, apparently. Um, They chased this thing down to an abandoned coal mine in town where they met up with yet another one of these weird bat-dragon-men things, both of which flew away to safety when the townspeople once again began firing at them. There's two of them? There's two of them. Uh, They made their way deeper into the tunnels of the mines, and they were never seen again, supposedly. Like, the, the people or the creatures? The creatures. Oh, uh, so according to the legend, this thing would just fly around the town at night, scaring the shit out of the townsfolk with its size, stench, and amazing speed. Mm-hmm. Don't think it was only seen by town weirdos either. A lot of people who told this tale were respected members of the community. Hmm. 
It also supposedly had like a horn on its head from which the bright light I mentioned earlier was said to be shot from. Okay. Yeah. So like a, a unicorn bat creature thing. Or a one-eyed, one-horned flying purple people eater maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I knew that song was based on truth. It was, of course. It was first seen and shot by an, quote, implement dealer, unquote. I don't know what that means, but he sold implements, guys. I mean, everybody needs a good implement. That's true. You can implement them into your everyday lives. I mean, hopefully. His name was U.G. Griffith or Eugene Griffith, and he saw it when it was just flying around atop the buildings in town. Hmm. He first saw a bright light and thought it was a lantern uh, of a possible robber that was car- that the robber was carrying around. Okay. So the next night after that, the town's doctor as well as the bank cashier named Peter Dunn noticed this big guy just flying around and they both took out the shotguns and just opened fire on it uh, yeah because it sounds scary yeah peter dunn also ended up finding some of this creature's footprints and made a plaster cast of them and the prints were quote great three-toed tracks oh yeah uh the next sighting was by a man who lived above the town hardware store his name was ov white he was awakened from a dead sleep by the creature. He ran outside, saw the Van Meter monster perched on the telephone pole, and shot at him or her. Who knows? Uh, I don't want to sound sexist, so, you know, girls can be anything they want to be, including monsters. <laughs> so in a chain reaction, the shots fired by O.V. White, who was said to be quite the marksman, by the way, woke up a man named Sidney Gregg, who was sleeping in his own store nearby. Okay. Uh, when he noticed the creature, he reportedly said it, quote, hopped like a kangaroo. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. So I have no idea what the hell this is. It like has these weird elements of other things like hopping, like kind of like winged creature. I think yeah. of like spring-heeled jack. But like then again, it's like there's no horn in that situation. No. So I don't know what this is and why everyone is sleeping in their own stores. And then also why most people have a two initial first name. <laughs> But this town's very strange. So that same night, it was also seen by a local teacher who said it looked like some sort of, quote, antediluvian monster, end quote. Antediluvian, if you don't know, uh, which, although I had heard the word before, I couldn't for the life of me remember what it meant. Uh, Well, it means uh, of or belonging to the time before the biblical flood. Mm -hmm. Ancient, ancient evil. Yes. A man named J.L. Platt Jr., heard strange noises coming from around the old coal mine, which is why I said they all ended up chasing the creature, you know, out there Mm -hmm. because he heard those noises. He was even quoted in the paper, the Des Moines Daily News, back on October 3rd of 1903 as saying, quote, Presently, the noise opened up again as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle, end quote. Jesus. Yeah, way to be dramatic, Mr. Platt. Thank you. So once they follow this mysterious creature back to the mine, that's when they see a smaller version of it along with the first one. Because of, for every Godzilla, there needs to be a Godzuki, no matter how much we never fucking asked for it. <laughs> the two creatures flew away for uh, you know the time being, but then came back the very next night where the townsfolk lay in wait for them. And of course, they had their boomsticks with them. As one would do to exactly. be prepared. Exactly. So they shot at the monsters again, but it really didn't seem to bother either of the creatures, and they just flew on down the shaft of the mine, never to be seen again. And I assume the two creatures lived happily ever after, but I don't know. 
I mean, that's usually how the story goes. Exactly. As for the veracity of these claims, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say these townspeople actually did see something since, like I said before, these weren't the black sheep of the town, but they were prominent men. They were doctors, store owners, and teachers, not like drunks or vagrants or, you know. Local librarian Jolena Walker was quoted by one article as saying, quote, those guys wouldn't have wanted that publicity, end quote, when referring to the eyewitness accounts the papers had in them back then. Well, yeah, because it kind of would make your credibility as like a pillar of the community you can like call that into question. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I, I believe they definitely saw something. It's believed that the creatures still live in the mind to this day. And it's kind of that weird place in town that people just don't like to go to. The one article I read in the Des Moines Register was about this guy who went there and wrote a book called The Van Meter Visitor, who said that once he started investigating this story, people all over town would go up to him with their stories of this creature. So other people have seen it, too. Oh, so like maybe this this creature has been spotted more frequently, but it's just not talked about as heavily as that first incident. Correct. As far as I could tell, the mine has either been torn down now or just sealed, and there's a field or farm or something like that where it once was. But the feeling of the area and the old brickyard nearby are still the same for the residents. A lot of people still seem to feel uneasy there. Hmm. As far as what some people think of this creature, some people say it's a completely bogus legend which was made up to frighten children. Yet there's actual proof that the event took place since it's been in newspapers from around the time it occurred. Others blame the way word of mouth tends to work for how crazy the story has gotten. Uh, Whenever someone tells a story, the next person that tells it seems to embellish a bit. And then the next bit until it's more of a full on game of whisper down the alley. Right. Others say that it's more about the way the eyewitness memory works, too. Uh, let's say that you see someone rob a store and get into a car. I saw these three men wearing stockings over their head and get into a black van. Now, some time has passed before the police arrive, and I've been talking to the other witnesses. The person next to me seems to think that they had ski masks and not stockings, and that the van was green, not black. Now, the third witness says that they are certain the robbers had stockings and the van was blue. In this situation, you start to doubt yourself by that point, and now it's been a few minutes and you aren't even sure what you saw anymore. It's a common issue, and it's why police will separate witnesses so they don't talk to each other. Hmm. And people seem to think this may have occurred with this particular legend that as makes well. Sense. Yeah. Now, the reason that I wanted to cover this story and what led me to it was that I noticed several people in Iowa had said that they'd seen dragons flying around lately. I saw the dragon stories too, and I was like, that seems weird. Yeah, it's very strange. So I really had to check into it, and I was like, ooh, dragons. So um, as if 2020 really needed any more freaking surprises, now there's dragons. Um, (laughs) First the mortar hornets. Yeah. Then the dragons. We've already had Lady Rona, murder (laughs) hornets, wildfires everywhere, super hurricanes, bubonic plague, etc., I didn't look at the date, so I'm not even 100% sure that they've been seeing them this year or if it was like a few years ago or whatnot, but I found it really freaking interesting. Mm. Um, There have been a few pictures of dragon-like creatures taken in the area, but they're always from a distance and they usually aren't very good. Yeah. Um, But the pictures that I saw definitely looked like freaking dragons, so I don't know. Interesting. Uh, The town does pay tribute to this wacky story, however, every fall. There was a Facebook page made for the event, but when I went to look at it, it was just blank. 
so I didn't get any information from Facebook, unfortunately. The creature might also be featured in a new strategy card game called Cryptocuffs, which I will definitely be checking out once it comes out, because that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, so, Nicole, what do you think about the supposed dragons or the Van Meter monster? Uh, do we blame this um, one on me, too, which we did with Champ, or...? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're in the clear for this one. Okay, good. Um, it's interesting. So I was just thinking like about dinosaurs, right? Yeah. And I know at certain parts of the Midwest, there's just protected fields of dinosaurs and they have found dinosaur bones or species in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Like, a, But they're always like the duck build style of dinosaurs. Yeah. They, they're not like winged creatures. Uh, so it seems very odd that people see winged creatures um, I do think you might be onto something with the sort of eyewitness yeah. m- memory fallacy of just confirming what you think you see or questioning your memories. That seems totally reasonable. There also seems to be a little bit of a, not mass hysteria, but sort of group think of everyone being like, what are these creatures? We got to do something. Oh, Let's yeah. fi- you know what I mean? Like that very like, get get the pitchforks, get the boomsticks. Yup, exactly. So, I mean, you know, Buy your boomstick, shop smart, shop S smart, guys. Um, <laughs> but it was just very, very strange that there's all these dragon sightings. Yeah, yeah. It makes me like, so like when I think about huge winged creatures, it's like, what is there? There's like, sometimes when you see a, like a bird, mm-hmm. it looks way bigger when it lands because you don't realize how big they are. Like, oh, yeah. Like owls, like we talked about, you know. The Kelly, the Hop, the Kelly Hopkinsville, Ville. Kelly Hopkinsville, yeah. yeah, the owls that um, people thought were aliens, that sort of thing, yeah. So that, that kind of has a, a a ring of similarity to it, but like flying bat winged dinosaurs, like yeah, very strange. Yeah, I've never heard of such a thing. This is the 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 picture that I saw. Oh, weird. That does look like a dragon, for real. But then if I zoom in on it, I don't really see much texture. So it looks like it could have been photoshopped. Yeah. Like a cutout. Yeah. So I don't know. But other people have seen these dragons, so it's not just one person saying this. And it's something that happened in 1903 and is now happening again today. Maybe somebody went into that mine with the broomstick, Mm -hmm. woke the creatures up. And now it's just 2020. Exactly. And I don't really... 2020, the curse of freaking 2020. But I don't necessarily think these creatures are like mean or malicious because they didn't seem to want to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. They're just flying around having a good time. Yeah, that's another weird element I, I noticed too because I feel like sometimes you hear about creatures or cryptids and it's like, you know, cattle goes missing or yep. people have these scary encounters. But this was literally like... I don't know what this is. Let's shoot it. Yes. Which is, you know... Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is intriguing because they do seem not like, I don't want to say peaceful because clearly they were just kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, exactly. But uninterested in people. Yeah. Which if they were going to eat us, they would, you know, we would have done that already. Exactly. But I don't, I didn't see any recorded deaths from this incident at all or even injuries. No, I just pictured the flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz and how they (laughs) scoop up Dorothy and her friends. Anyway, that's what those dragonoid Van Meter monsters would do. Yeah, probably. Delicious, delicious, old-timey men who have too many initials in their first name. That is true, and like to sleep in their stores. 
you don't have a house to sleep in your store. <laughs> Delicious. I think they probably had like an apartment above the store. Yeah, or I'm something, sure it was one of those situations where it's like you live where you work because you're a bus- small business owner. Yes, and it seems like a small town because there's only a little over a thousand people in it. So, and that was today or back then? Today. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's probably even smaller back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for digging that one up, Eden. Like I said, I kind of saw some mention of dragons when I was doing some research uh, for my uh, paranormal story for Iowa, but. I didn't look too closely into it because, you know, dragons. Yeah, it seemed really weird. But then I, because it was so weird, I had to cover it. <laughs> and I've been wanting to find a cryptid to do so. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. My sources for this week were Wikipedia, onlyinyourstate.com, 750046855.blogspot.com. Jenny, who can I turn to? <laughs> Des Moines Register.com cryptids with a z dot fandom dot com dailymail dot co dot uk kdat dot com and adel news dot com there we go i got it cool cool so guys um our live show is coming up we will have more information for you soon uh but it seems like it's going to be a good time i'll give you all the info on how to Log on and watch us for the first time. Ooh, you're going to see our faces. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll give you the information as soon as we get it. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that a number of ways. Uh, we have a great email address, roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. So you can send us a message about what you like about the show, some story suggestions, share your own stories, or even just, you know, to say hi. Hey, how's it going, Eden Nicole? Exactly. Send pictures of your pets. Do whatever. Just get in contact with us because we'd like to hear from you you can also check us out on our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com uh, we are on facebook and instagram and twitter on facebook and instagram we are roadside horror show on twitter we are roadside horror we'd also like to thank yox rocks designs for our logo and e massey for our intro and outro music until next week roadsters creep, creep on, on creeping on, on.